that's okay. First John chapter 1, starting to read at verse 5. says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word and the treasures that are in it. Lord, I pray that Lord, you would open our understanding, but Lord, with that understanding, that would come application by faith to bring about the transformation that you desire. Lord, just anoint this time together, anoint me to deliver your word, I pray, anoint us to receive, in Jesus' name, amen. So from this passage, it's very emphatic that God is light. Everything about him is pure, it's holy. Uh, it's perfect. There is absolutely no darkness in him whatsoever. None. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, or in other words, we are deliberately in sin, we're lying and we're not in truth. Now, walking in darkness implies that it is an active choice and a decision to live that way, not simply to stumble or to make a mistake. Amen. Fellowship with God speaks of relationship, speaks of communion, and of speaking to and hearing from God. Speaks of a desire to please Him in all that we do. And when we walk in the light as He is in the light, we might understand this as, it's not walking in a natural light source, but we are walking in His way. We are following His example. Our focus is on Him, what He wants us to do, who He wants us to be. That's a simple explanation of what it means to walk in the light. Verse 8 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. This is not a statement to say that a little sin is okay. Far from it. But rather it's a statement that because of my sinful nature, even though I'm trying to walk with him in the light I still have a way to go I'm still working through some things and overcoming some things day by day Amen and thank the Lord he's helping me every day Amen and as long as I keep coming to Jesus and confessing my sins he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me Amen. His faithfulness is hard for us to grasp because I keep coming back to Him time after time, asking Him to forgive me, and He washes me clean and says again and again, I see you as righteous. Now, we know how many times we come back to the Lord how many times it's often for the same thing and 
What an awesome God when He loves me, even when I let Him down, and always hears my prayer of repentance. Always. If I'm sincere in my repentance, He always hears me. When I come and I say, Lord, I've messed up again. And I know we've spoken about this before. And I'm concerned we may speak about it again. But will you please forgive me? And the Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us, not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us as if it never happened. And so for some of you this morning, that's all you need right now is that when the devil is in your ear telling you that you have failed, you may be able to say to him, yes, I have, but Jesus is taking care of it. And as long as Jesus takes care of it, the devil can say whatever he wants. And you can say, my sin is under his blood and his blood is against you. Amen. Bless the Lord. Amen. But in verse 7, there's another component. There's another piece of the puzzle. Verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. So, if I am doing my best, again, by His power and strength, not by my own, not by might, not by power, by His Spirit, to walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. When I fellowship with God, which is what the the context is about here, He's in the light, if I walk in the light, as He is in the light. When I fellowship with God, a product of my fellowship with God is that I will have, we will have fellowship with one another. Amen. Now, we covered this, but fellowship happens at various levels, from lighthearted conversation to discussion about our walk with God to opening our hearts and being vulnerable about our struggles, our battles, and even our fears. And the deeper the level of fellowship, the more vulnerable or open to hurt you become and the reality is that living in a flawed imperfect world full of flawed imperfect people and going to church with some of those flawed imperfect people hurts and offenses do come somebody woke up amen and the natural and even understandable response to that hurt is to close up emotionally from others and to protect yourself from never happening again when we are hurt we don't want that to happen again and we will sometimes consciously sometimes subconsciously take action to protect ourselves the unfortunate part of that is this passage of scripture does not actually give us the liberty to do that amen if I say if it says that if I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So part of walking in the light as he is in the light is that fellowship. Amen. But then John, John makes another statement 
that finishes off verse 7. So there are three statements in verse 7. I'm, you might, I'm being a little bit repetitive because I want this to really sink in. If I walk in the light as he is in the light, that's the first statement. So I'm trying to be what he wants me to be. I'm trying to follow him, listen to him, obey him, honor him, glorify him, worship him. If I'm doing that, then we have fellowship one with another. That's the second part of the verse. And the third part is that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, the specific mention of Jesus being the son is important. We'll come back to that later. So file that. We'll come back to that later. Forgiveness only comes from God. Now, we can and should forgive one another. But in terms of the error of our ways being removed from our account, only God can do that. God is one that washes sin away. Amen. And the cleansing power of forgiveness, according to the Word of God, comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. But what is interesting is that He uses... These points in this verse are not there randomly. He uses the fellowship of the body as a vehicle to bring about cleansing. Now, I don't cleanse you, and you don't cleanse me. That comes from Him. But the vehicle that He uses... The method is his body. In the natural sense, blood operates within the body. Amen. And so in a spiritual sense, as I walk with him and fellowship with you and you with me, those pieces work together as God designed them, assisting in bringing about my cleansing and my wholeness and my healing. We would like it if it was just us and God, but that's not his design. Amen. Let's go to James chapter 5. Some of you are already there because you know where we're going. James chapter 5 and verse 13. I'll wait for the rustling to stop. Love real Bibles. Love technology, but when it comes to the Word of God, love real Bibles. That's just a personal preference. Batteries never run flat on my Thompson chain. James 5 and 13 <clears throat> says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. That's the biblical response to affliction. The human response is to moan, but the biblical response is to pray. Amen. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Rejoice. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, the, with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or achieves much. Now, we see here teaching on how to seek for prayer when we're sick. We touched on this, but it is an act of faith to say, would somebody pray for me, please? That's an act of faith. The prayer of faith will save or heal the sick. Then it says that if that person who sought prayer has committed sins, 
they shall be forgiven him. This is an important passage to understand because your sins are not forgiven by having elders praying for you. I can't take away your sin. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just go to one another and say, bro, just deal with this for me. Take care of this little issue I've got. But it doesn't work like that because I didn't die for you. My blood wasn't shed for you and even if it was, it couldn't take away your sins. Amen. The epistle is written to believers who've already been baptized. So forgiveness in our understanding is through genuine repentance to the Lord. Amen. So whether the sin had some connection to the sickness or the two were completely separate, both require faith and obedience to achieve the desired result. The Scripture is not teaching that when you come forward and we pray for your illness, that somehow your sins are automatically forgiven as some kind of package deal. That's not what it's talking about. But if as a part of the desire to be healed from illness, that person's faith also desires to repent of sin, forgiveness can take place in the same time. Amen. Is everybody with me? I haven't lost anybody. If you have a better understanding of that, please share it with me afterwards. I'm not being funny. It's, it's a challenging passage. But I think we all agree that no elder, no preacher, no apostle can take away or forgive my sin. Only God can do that. They may be praying with me and helping to facilitate what is happening, encouraging and praying together, joining our faith together. But forgiveness takes place between God and the individual alone. It's God that forgives sins. That's why they wanted to stone Jesus when he told somebody their sins were forgiven. Because they said, you're a man claiming to be God. And he said, you've almost got it. (laughs) They were saying it as a negative accusation. He was saying, you look at that a slightly different way and you might actually have a revelation of what's going on here. Amen. Okay. And this leads us to verse 16, which says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I I believe, and I'm hopefully on safe ground, that there is a parallel between what is happening here in James 5 and what is spoken about also in 1 John and 1. Amen. Some Orthodox churches have taken this verse to mean that they they, uh, have created, if you like, a rite of confession where you meet with a priest, you confess your sins, you tell them what you've done, they give you certain processes to go through, things to say, things to do, and you'll be forgiven of your sins. Again, that is not a biblical concept. Amen. The word fault here in verse 16, I believe it may include sins in the sense of trespasses against God, but I think the scope is broader than that. That it also includes our struggles, our weaknesses, and our flaws. Now, to compare the two passages, if I can, It's gone really quiet, so either everybody's listening or everybody thinks I'm going off track. John said, if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I'll have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses me from all sin. James said, if you'll confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. In both of these passages, there is an overlap between my relationship fellowship, confession, prayer together 
with my brethren and with my receiving cleansing and healing. So we discussed that fellowship comes with a risk. It does. Fellowship at the point where I'm sitting down with my brother and I'm saying, bro, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm having this issue. I'm struggling with this fear. It comes with the risk of him not taking it seriously. It comes with the risk of him telling people afterwards and saying, you'll never believe what the pastor's struggling with. Who would have thought? I thought he was more spiritual than that. It comes with, you know, it comes with a variety of risks where I become vulnerable. And that's the risk of fellowship. And our flesh and the devil does not want us to take that risk. Because if he can get us to lock up, that cleansing and that healing and that wholeness is locked up with it. Am I saying that God can't do it? God can, but this is the method God has chosen to do so. Amen. So the question that everybody wants to know is who and how do I choose to talk to somebody? Do I just pick a random person and say, hey, Bible says I need to talk to you about my problems and get you to pray for me? You can use that method if you want. It may not work too well. The, the key is in reading the verse backwards. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When you're looking for somebody to talk to, you look for a righteous man. Because a righteous man will care about you. A righteous man will protect your vulnerability. A righteous or a spiritual man, as according to Galatians chapter 6, will desire to restore you in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, being very conscious of their own weaknesses and shortcomings. And a righteous man will recognize his limitations and when you need more than he's able to assist you with I used the example of this the other night we dedicated a family this morning but when when you have children one of the many job descriptions you get as a parent is you become a doctor and a nurse your kids get sick I don't know any parent that hasn't had a child that's got sick in some form or another and you do what you know how to do you try to keep their fluids up you may give them an appropriate dose of something like Panadol, baby Panadol, whatever. You know, there's various treatments that you may know. Some are passed on from your parents. Some of them have absolutely no value whatsoever, but we do them because that's what mum and dad did. But if your child's condition gets worse, a wise parent, a good parent recognizes, I don't know what to do now. And you take that child to a doctor because they've been trained hopefully, to know more than you do about the child's condition. And they will examine the child, examine their symptoms, hopefully prescribe some kind of a a course of action that will improve their health. But if the child's condition is even more serious, the doctor will say, you need to take your child to the hospital where there are specialists that can administer the kind of care that they need. They might say, well, I, I... you know, I think this is what's wrong, but I'd really think we should get somebody else to have a look at your, little, at your little one. Amen. The spiritual parallel of that in the body of Christ is that as brothers and sisters, we can talk to and encourage one another, and we should. And if you've been serving a little bit longer, you can really encourage somebody who's been new in the Lord. They can say, hey, I'm having this challenge. You can say, hey, let me share something with you that helped me. But then they might share something with you 
one of the men might come to, I don't know, Brother Moses and say, bro, you know, I'm having this problem. And Brother Moses might think, yeah, I think this is, this is a little bit above what I know how to handle. He'll say, hey, how about you go and talk to Brother Frost? He's our men's leader. Have a chat to him. And Brother Frost might well be able to take care of it. Help that brother as he does often. Encourage them, assist them. But if it's a bit extra curly, he might say, you need to go and talk to the pastor. It's not because the pastor's got a medical degree or he's the smartest person in the building, but it's how God sets things up. And so we have to recognize our limitations. When we, when we take on things with our brothers and sisters that are bigger than we can handle and don't do the right thing, that's pride. Because we think, I can take care of this. We need to know where our limits are at. Amen. If you go to hospital and you need brain surgery, you don't get the nurse to do it. Nurses are incredibly valuable and hospitals will fall apart without them, but I don't want a nurse cutting over my skull because they you know, looked it up online and followed the basic steps. It's not a good idea. Amen. So, try to bring some of this back together. We understand that in the beginning, man was made for perfect fellowship with God, a holy and awesome God and a pure and a sinless man. No, nothing in between, no hindrances, no, no being out of sync, no misunderstanding, just a beautiful relationship between God and his image creature. Man sinned, fellowship is broken. There's a gulf between God and man. There's a gap that is there because of sin. And that's why it's significant that John said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Because God, as it were, let's come here, Moses. Let's let's see if we can not confuse ourselves too much. I got the microphone, so I get to be God. Okay, I'm God. This is Adam. Me and Adam, we're tight. There's no problems in our relationships whatsoever. Adam does everything I tell him to do. He loves me. I love him. It's a happy day. But then one day, Adam decides I'm going to do what I want to do doesn't go too well adam sins breaks my breaks my commandments it sounds weird saying that breaks the commandments of the lord and that gap is formed you can go sit down now please bro so god is holy and pure man is in sin there's a gap there's a gulf between us but it says the blood of jesus christ his son god who is a spirit the bible says was manifest in the flesh. So God, who is invisible, stepped into the gap in the form of the humanity of Jesus Christ and made a way to take his hand and his hand and bring the two together. Amen. That's why the sonship is important because it's talking about his willingness to be the sacrifice to bridge that gap. Amen. Bless the Lord. And we are, when we are born again, because of what the Lord provided... We become a part of the body of Christ. We become brethren in his humanity. He says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And that's only possible because of him being manifest in the flesh. That's why that statement is important in John. And so when you think about, we go back to what we started with, we have a pure and holy God fellowshipping with us again. That's mind-boggling. That's mind-blowing because he knows we're flawed. We know we're still flawed. We know that we're not in his league. 
we know we're going to let him down he knows we're going to let him down he knows i'm going to disappoint him and most likely repeat that mistake not once and not even twice and still he says i want to have fellowship with you that's incredible that he continually overlooks my shortcomings if you had a friend that constantly let you down constantly showed up late borrowed money didn't pay it back crashed your car whatever it may be insulted your family if they constantly let you down how's that friendship going to go you're going to delete their number when they knock on the door you're going to turn the lights off and hide behind the wall and pretend you're not home but god as our heavenly father has a relationship with us who constantly let him down and always opens the door always takes your call always hears when you cry out to him that is incredible and says hey i'll continue to forgive you but you know what the problem of being a part of the body of christ is paul said to the corinthians the body's not one member it's many and that's when the party stopped not only that god gives us instructions not suggestions instructions about how we interact with the rest of the body fellowship confession confession prayer for one another amen in fact the word of god gives us instruction and this may be where we go with some lessons in coming weeks for every kind of relationship that we have in life they're all covered husbands and wives parents and children employers employees government citizens pastors saints they're all covered and the common factor in all of those relationships is that they're all between flawed human beings every one of those relationships is between broken people all of them so whatever role you find yourself in and some of us in a multiple of those roles we're we're spouses we're parents we're citizens we're saints we're, there's a lot of those roles we find it every one of us is in at least one usually several of those roles and not one of us ever gets a perfect score not one of us ever gets a hundred percent now some of you know what it was like to get a hundred percent at school i don't relate to that but when it comes to relationships none of us get a hundred percent any day some of you think you do you need a fresh look uh, ask the person on the other side of that relationship amen but god's instruction god's instruction to us about what is required of us everybody say what is required of me in those roles and relationships is not conditional upon the performance of others i'm going to say that again what god expects of you as a husband wife parent child employee employee blah, 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 i'm down through the list has no is not influenced in any way by the actions of the other person now let me clarify that just for a moment by saying this while no personal relationship with a personal spiritual professional is perfect there are lines that if they're crossed the obligations for the relationship cease to exist this is a serious thing for example in a marriage if somebody's safety is under threat from violence or a spouse is unfaithful and reconciliation cannot be achieved 
because biblically that's the first goal, then there may be justification for that relationship to cease. They're, they're at the end of the options. That's not the first, first station on the train line. If children are being abused or neglected, then the parents' authority in that situation shouldn't exist and the children should be removed. If your employer treats you inappropriately, underpays you, requires you to do something illegal, you have the right to respond to that. The government expects you to disobey God, you can refuse. In the same manner, if you break the law, you should expect the consequences. Now, some of you think, well, I never, ever break the law, so I've got 100% in that relationship. You think you never break the law until you have a child that's learning how to drive. Then you'll find out how many times you do break the law. Amen. And I'm just going to leave that right there. Amen. I'm not even making eye contact with anybody. So there are there are limits of what we're expected to accept in a relationship. But they're the that's the edge of the limits. Amen. But you see, in reality, if my wife or my children don't do everything perfectly, what God expects of me as a husband and a father doesn't change. I can't say, well, they're only performing at 65%, so I'm going to meet them at 65 and feel very good about myself. God does not give any one of us the right to do that. We don't go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, my family, they're not doing everything they should be doing. The Lord doesn't say, that's okay, you get a pass today. You can just, you know, only do half job. The expectation from God is that whatever my role is, is in that relationship, that I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. So when I'm saying, God, what kind of a husband or a father should I be? I'm not looking sideways going, as long as I'm keeping up with them, we're all good. I'm looking up going, what do you expect from me? Whether we're talking about marriages, families, on the job, in the community, in the house of God. Our ex God does not ever say, this is what I expect of my people so long as these clauses are met by the other persons. That second part doesn't exist. He just says, this is what I expect from you. Like Elkanah, he went to the house of God knowing the corruption. Now, if I was pastoring across town and Elkanah came to me, I'd say, bro, you need to get out of that church. It's a mess. But Elkanah's worship was to God, not to Eli, not to Hothni, not to Phineas. His obligation was to the King of Kings. And when we view our relationships and we say, God, what do you expect from me? Not what do you expect from me in relation to somebody else. It will change the way we live. Because we're living in a day where everybody's justifying everything by everybody else's actions and everybody seems to feel the need to be outraged about everything. People are getting angry about everything everywhere. That's not biblical. That's carnal. And we need to be careful when our default response in a situation or relationship is to justify. We've got to say, am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit here? Now, there are times when we have to explain what's going on. I'm not saying there isn't a place for dialogue. But our first priority is, how does God expect me to handle this? Amen. God expects me to be a husband, a 
father, a citizen, a son, my parents are still alive, a pastor, a saint, as he requires. Not based on what you do or you don't do. Because as we've taught before, we start doing it because we're looking left and right. We'll start keeping score. Well, I'm, a, I'm ahead of this guy. But man, I've got a lot of work to do to catch up to that sister. That's not how God operates. He interacts with us on an individual basis. This goes for every relationship that we have, but especially within the household of faith. Especially in the family of God. Coming to a close. Jesus said, by this shall all men know. That you're my disciples if you have loved one to another. That, that's not just about the witness. That's about the fellowship and the cleansing and the healing and the wholeness that he wants to be happening. Amen. Peter comes to the Lord and says, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? The reality, Peter and all of us, we never get to seven times anyway. Let's be honest. Somebody's doing the same thing repeatedly. Are we going to get to seven? So Peter thought he was saying, that's a pretty big and Jesus said, times that by 70. And Peter's jaw hit the floor. And he was like, ah, I can't be done. Not naturally. Not naturally. That's why Paul said to the Colossians, he said, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above these things, put on charity, love that's willing to sacrifice, which is the bond of perfectness or being made whole. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called into one body, and be ye thankful. Is all of that just so others can see Christ in us? That's a big part of it. But more of that is to do with what he's wanting to do in us. The fellowship, the vulnerability, the praying for one another, the protecting one another, the loving one another. It's about what God wants to achieve. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed, when? Day by day. Ephesians says, 4.23, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Lamentations 3.22-23, and we sing this, says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Why does it matter that we have a clean slate every morning? Well, I need to be right with God every day. But that goes beyond that. I need to have a clean slate with my brethren every morning as well because some of us have been going to church together for a long time and some of us have got longer memories and if my fellowship and my confession and my wholeness is constantly hindered and crippled because of all that I'm remembering who loses I do but if I'm able to start each day and say God renew my love renew the mercy as I'm willing to receive it let me be willing to extend it God can work amongst us no matter how long we've been going to church together
church, we've given ourselves to praying together this year. And I believe God's working among us. I believe there's great evidence of that. And messages like this have featured regularly in the preaching this year, not just from me, but from other ministry as well. And even on Wednesday nights, when Brother McCallum has led us in prayer, it's often been one of the focal points that he's presented for us to pray about. And if that wasn't enough, the last couple of days, there's a poster in the foyer, I've learned that the theme for general conferences coming January is together. And God's talking to us? Could be. Could be. Let's stand together this morning.